You're listening to The Pedestal from Mike on Much. Presented by Much Studios. This is The Pedestal. Uh, this is our very first episode. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. Uh, we, we're just trying this. We're winging it. So if you're listening you, to this, wait, wait. Do you call it The Pedestal? Oh, yeah. I totally <laughs> That's what I was thinking. What's the pedestal? Pedestal. Yeah. yeah, right. This is all good and don't cut any of this at all. This is The Pedestal. Uh, it's a movie show. We're here to talk about movies from the past that maybe have been placed on a pedestal. Should they remain there? Should they come off? Um, this is our very first episode, and if you are listening to this, you may have come over because you listened to me, Mike Veerman, on our other podcast, Mike on Much. Uh, so because you're coming over possibly from Mike on Much, or maybe you just found this, uh, I don't know how you came, but if you're here, we're happy. So now I'm going to introduce the two fellas that we're doing this with. Uh, one is someone that you might know if you listen to our podcast, Mike on Much, Shane Christian Cunningham. Hello, hello. And then also introducing to you for the first time, uh, writer director, producer, award-winning writer, director, producer oh of my. commercials and short films, Jonathan Popolis. Hello. How's it going, John? It's going great. I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> John's a, you know, what are you, 6'6 six, six or something? 6'5". Six, 6'5". Five. Six, five, yeah. One of the most prolific uh, directors in the building. I think you do more <laughs> shoots than anyone. I'm sure, yeah. maybe. And you probably watch more movies than anyone. Yeah, that's probably. Also. Yes, I watch a lot of movies. And you, in my opinion, you're kind of like very similar to Mike in the sense that you guys both have almost like photographic memories when you watch movies. Your recall is pretty astounding. Yeah, I think so. I like, I, I, I like to like memorize. It's because I like movies so much, I kind of like memorize them on purpose so like later on I can sit back and sort of think about them. Like a movie is more than just watching it. It's sort of the dissecting it and thinking about mm -hmm. it. Like every time I watch a movie, I find myself like looking up more things about it. And I, like I just like, want to deep dive on like every single thing that I watch. Yeah, yeah. it's... Uh between two, like, I don't think I've ever met anyone who can recall movies better than you two. So that's just the, the preliminary, I guess, who Pops is. And then I, you guys have a structure. It's a good set. Well, this before, is the first one. That's so right. We and, don't know what we're doing. We, we got a little bit of, of a roadmap that we're going to follow. But before we get to that, uh, maybe let the listeners know why we started this and, and what the whole point of our podcast is here on The Pedestal. Uh, take it away, Pops. <laughs> uh, well, I just, uh, I guess instead of, instead of just sort of like picking our favorite movies and just kind of talking about our favorite movies, there, there are so many movies that you sort of, as the title would suggest that we hold up on a, on a pedestal, uh, or as time goes on. And, and, and sometimes you question whether or not do, do you, do we love them so much because I liked them so much as a kid and all the things that went around in the time or, or do they really deserve the kind of esteem and acclaim that we sort of give these movies. And so the idea is, wouldn't it be interesting to sort of one movie at a time, kind of take one of these movies that we hold up on the pedestal and discuss, does it deserve, does it really deserve to be up there or should we be, you know? Well, and I guess it started because you and I were having a bit of a debate or argument yeah. conversation about Dumb and Dumber. Yes. And, uh, you know, that's a movie we, we all know from our childhood. That's a movie I, like, know literally off very, by heart. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll discuss it on another pub. But yeah. You had very interesting opinions about it that kind of surprised me. And we got into debating it over text. Yeah. And then it got so intense over text. It was like, this could be a, a, a show. Yeah. And then I kind of uh, presented it to, to Mike. Like, oh, like, Pops would be the perfect host for this. And then Mike's like, I, I want to do the movie show too. I was like, oh, can you handle Mike on much and this show? And you're like, hell yeah, I'll make it work. <laughs> you're like, no, nope, I, 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 <laughs> FOMO, baby. Mike loves movies. <laughs> Hardest working man show biz. Yeah. So now it's kind of this. I'll be getting uh, divorced soon, but it's cool. <laughs> yeah. But uh, should we discuss the movie? I guess people know if they've clicked this. Well, let's get into it. So for our very first episode, we decided to talk about a very celebrated film uh, by fans and critics alike. Mm -hmm. Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. So in the sort of the Star Trek canon, and specifically the Star Trek movies, Star Trek for The Voyage Home is considered probably the, well, it's one of the most successful for sure, and it's one of the most beloved, thinking back. A little bit of background. Uh, so this movie came out in 1986, in November. It was directed by Spock himself, Leonard Nimoy. Uh, As the credits. It's so funny, in the opening credits, it starts with a Leonard Nimoy film, like it's the first thing you see, a Leonard Nimoy film, and then the opening credits, and then the title, and then directed by Leonard Nimoy. Like there is no question that he made this movie. Yeah. He yeah. also, he also co, like the story is by yeah. him. Yeah. Um, so some context for 1986, uh, the top five movies, this was actually the fifth highest grossing movie of 1986. The other ones were uh, top grossing was Top Gun, 
followed by Crocodile Dundee, followed by oh, Platoon, boy. and then Karate Kid Part 2. So you get a part kind of two. a feel for what the movie like scene Kid? was like. Oh, wait, Part 2. Yeah, it's Part 2. <laughs> hey, fourth highest grossing film. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So uh, it's currently sitting at 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, and they the synopsis, the critics' consensus is, is perhaps the lightest and most purely enjoyable entry of the long-running series, emphasizing the eccentricities of the Enterprise crew. It's also funny that on Rotten Tomatoes, a lot of the reviews are like post-2000. So considering what we're talking about here a lot it's not just all a bunch of reviews from 1986 they are reviews from people recently who have recently looked back and said this you know what i mean yeah. so it's not just 1986 that it was considered good it's oh, oh, as the decades have gone on people consistently talk about but i kind of i actually don't like reviews that are kind of now when they're on rotten tomatoes because the reputation precedes it and there is an influence of mm-hmm. Of course, this movie is great, and it's still great because you it's don't want to like go a bandwagon the that you're sort of jumping on. You're like, yeah, the, the even numbered mm-hmm. Star Treks. Of course, like it's that sort of that you want to be a part of that conversation. Like, I was just watching uh, Roger and Ebert reviews before YouTube reviews, and it's just fascinating to see like when Boogie Nights came out that Gene didn't like it. Yeah, and it's like, but then you see him. They they talk about the re-release of Goodfellas. Or um, The Godfather. Like, of course this is a masterpiece. So it, everything else is informed differently, I find, when it's already known it's as, a, as a classic. Totally. So should we talk about your guys' level of Trekkerness? Sure. It's, it's called Trekkers, right? Not yeah, Trekkies. Trekkers. I thought it was Trekkies, but that's apparently a big no-no. <laughs> it used to be Trekkies. I, I personally don't care, but we're, they're known as Trekkers. So right. for, for me, um, I'm a huge, huge Star Trek The Next Generation fan. So that's like, I've watched every episode of that series. Uh, I grew up loving it. Um, the original series, I, I, I'm cool with. I'm not like super involved, but I have seen all of the feature films because as a kid, my Uncle Bob, you know, he had owned all of them, so we would watch them every weekend. So I've seen all of them. I was very familiar with this movie, although I did watch it again for this pod. And so as far as the Star Trek universe and sort of how all the aliens connect and, the, you know, the United Federation of Planets and the sort of canon and the mythology of Star Trek, I'm very, very well aware of and, and, and into that the same way that someone might be into Star Wars or Game of Thrones or any of that sort of thing. Right. I'm like the opposite in that next generation I've seen like maybe one episode. But original series, that's the one I've seen almost every episode. I love it. I've seen all the movies. Like it's, it's yeah, but I, but I'm definitely not on the same level of fan. Like I really enjoy the, the original series. I enjoy these movies. Like I, 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 I haven't, I haven't seen them in years. So I would say I'm, I'm a middle fan. Like I, I've sort of thought of it as like, Mike, I see you as like a big fan. I'm right in the middle and I'm assuming Shane is sort of just, I haven't seen anything yeah, from which it, is really. great. <laughs> like, I slept over at Mike's house For this house movie once. in particular, I'm yeah. very fascinated to see what someone who was went in cold, considering, like, it is absolutely the third part of a, of a trilogy of two, three, four. Like, does, does it work? Well, I had only so, seen one episode of uh, Star Trek, I guess The Next Generation, when I slept over at your house, Mike, because <laughs> you only had one DVD, and it was in the DVD player. And it was the episode where it was kind of like... A very sexual being was, uh, I guess, seducing Riker was his name? Played by Fomka Jansen. Yeah. Yeah. The, oh. <laughs> it was... Uh, she was like a gift for an alien. So basically the I think Mike was episode. trying to seduce you. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was the perfect watch for a guy who's alone <laughs> in an apartment. <laughs> the Fomka Jansen character is basically this frozen sort of gift to another culture. And she's kind of like going to be a bride. And when she wakes up, she imprints on whoever she's woken up. So it's kind of... They work around the ethics of whether or not she has free will or, is it, or if it's some sort of like prostitution against her own will. But because she imprints on Picard and then Riker and men are super drawn to her, that's kind of the, yeah. uh, the plot of that. Uh, but so I thought that was a very commercial episode, which appealed to me, uh, a non-Trekker. And I found this like, do you guys even consider this a Star Trek film? Like it feels kind of like it's made for kids or people who aren't even Trekkers. It's a very crossover film. So, okay. So first, let's okay. really get into this film. So what sure. we're going to do is we're going to, uh, basically, we have a couple ways we're going to do this. So right now, this movie, Star Trek IV The Voyage Home, is currently on the pedestal, as seen by, you know, fans, mm-hmm. yeah. critics. Uh, so we're going to go for the reasons to keep it on. What did we like about this movie? You know, like the things we liked, the best scene, the best performance, and then we go to cons after that. But so let's let's talk about the reasons to keep it on the pedestal. Well, first of all, do are we going to talk about our feelings at all, or are we just going to go right into... Regardless of our feelings, we're going to say good things. That's what we're saying. It's a good, good question. I mean, I, I actually like the idea of it being an ongoing discussion with every episode. Of what do, like what is mm-hmm. the, the the credentials for staying on? So I, I am. It is. I like reasons to keep it on because sure. it doesn't necessarily 
inform everyone whether it is going to stay on at the right. end. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll start by saying, I mean, it's to me, it's legitimately funny. Absolutely, it is agree. A legitimately, legitimately funny movie. That that and and it's one of those. It, it's it's almost shocking. It took four movies for them to remember, like, oh yeah, like the show is. This is funny. Like immediately, this the storyline that's about the world is ending and then these guys are just sort of running around the 80s like like making jokes and cracking wise and it just it's- yeah it feels like the whole plot construct is to obviously have a fish out of water movie yeah you know and it's kind of funny that crocodile dundee was the number two grossing movie that year because really that's the mechanism it's fish out of water and the whole point is to get these people from the future into like the past which if you're viewing it in real time is our present yeah that's where all the comedy drives from and i think they 100 percent they nail it like mm-hmm. so you think nimoy saw crocodile dundee and he's like <laughs> no 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 <laughs> but inspired by maybe I think that they already would have been totally in production because they came out like a couple months apart. Oh, okay. Right? So it's like, it'd be really hard to like, I think the, I think they wanted to do a lighter film for Star Trek when this was in development. They were developing the story, all that stuff. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is there another movie like that that precedes that that you guys can think of? Like the fish out of water sort of? Well, would it, has Back, Back to the Future been out at this point? Yes. Yep. Part one. Oh, it had been. Okay. So, so him in the 50s. Yeah, exactly. When yes. you go back to another, uh, anytime you go back to another time period. But uh yeah, I thought I thought the funniest the line that made me laugh first was when uh, the cab driver kind of almost hits Kirk. Yeah, and he's like, hey, "Watch, watch where you're going, you dumbass! Double dumbass on you!" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah double yeah, dumbass." Yeah. That that one got me. <laughs> the people of this time they speak in profanity. Well, that <laughs> gag kept carrying on, like with Spock kept trying to like swear. Like, there's mm-hmm. one right near the very end where they're all on the ship. And he's like, I can't remember the exact line, but he ends up, I didn't write that one down, but he ends up swearing like in a funny way. Like he says hell or something. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, we'll get the damn thing going. Something like that. That's that's what it is. But it's just kind of out of place. But I mean, to me, there's so many funny scenes that really work. Like the famous one is the punk on the bus that, uh, you know, does the Vulcan neck pinch too. Does that, does that neck pinch kill him? No, it knocks him out. It basically like renders you unconscious. You know, that guy was the, was Leonard Nimoy's assistant. And when they said they were, do you mind if I do an aside story? Because there's an interesting story about that guy on the bus. Sure. Where he, so he's learning he wasn't, and he found out that this punk, about this punk part, and he like insisted that he wants to play the part, and he shaved his head. He wrote the song that's coming out of the radio. <laughs> wow. And he was like so big on it. And then like years later, this is like a recent, uh, that guy, his name's Kirk Thatcher, was in some meeting, and Kevin Feige, who's like the, the, head of like the producer for all the Marvel movies like saw him told him that Star Trek 4 is like one of his favorite movies and they're shooting this movie the Spider-Man Homecoming um, and so why don't you come out to New York and we're gonna and so that character that punk character with the boombox is in the Spider-Man Homecoming movie so it's the same character from Star Trek 4 it's wow. just so it's just funny how like you like ubiquitous like these things are and how yeah wow Anyways. Deep dive. <laughs> Total deep dive. Uh, but yeah, so like we all agree that the humor works in this. Yeah. I, th- I think it's really funny. And I also think that the plot is so just like nuts and ballsy. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, and it, they don't spend a lot of time uh, messing around with it. It's just like, okay, we got to get humpback whales. We're going back, to the, going back into the past. And they're like, cool. And they just yeah. do it. I love one of my favorite lines, because and I have it here just because that was so funny. That Bo- And by the way, Bones, I think, is just <laughs> the MVP always. Is Bones the doctor? Bones the doctor. Yeah. And Bones is the best. And Bones, like, just full on just, like, says to Kirk, so you're proposing we go backwards in time, find humpback whales, then bring them forward in time, drop them off, and hope to hell that they, that they tell this probe what to go do with itself. And Kirk's like, that's a general idea. And Bones like, well, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, even in yeah. the movie, <laughs> they totally understand, like, what the hell are He's you like talking about? He's like the voice of the audience. Yeah, you know, and what we might be thinking. Yeah, uh, it was funny. I actually read uh, Ebert's review from 1986. I have it here too, and it was very, uh, very celebratory of, how, and because he can be very tough. And you know, the thing is, time travel movies are tough in general because your brain starts. There's a logical thing in your brain where you start going, ah, and if you're thinking too much about the mechanism, you can get pulled out. He found how absurd it was and how ridiculous it was uh, a, a good point, like sort of something that, you know, because it got them to a point where they could just be funny and, and sort of, you know, be in these uncomfortable situations. I also thought it was amazing that, like, as far as Leonard Nimoy and um, his co-writer, co-writer uh, Herb something. Um, well, Nimoy just did the story. He didn't write the yeah. story. He didn't write, they had Har- four yeah. people write Harv the story. Harv Bennett. Well, yeah. Harv Bennett. They're, and they're, and they're, they did the story together, the two of them. Yeah, they yeah. did the story. And then, like, they had these two guys, uh, I have, like, Steve Mearson and, and Peter Crikes, they wrote a screenplay that just got thrown right out. So they brought back 
the director of Wrath of Khan and then Herb Bennett, they wrote it together. Interesting. Well, what they do, because here's the challenge in any Star Trek movie, is you have a big cast, right? Mm -hmm. You have, I think, seven principals or eight principals in that old cast, and you need to find something for all of them to do, you know? So it was genius to be like, okay, <laughs> we need to get the uh, nuclear power to make the ship work, and we also have to find the materials to hold the water yeah. for the tanks. So it's like you break them off, and they all get their own little adventure, you know? And then... Well, I liked when the... Um when the Scottish guy, his name's Scotty, right? Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Um, when when he he's trying to build the tank, and uh, to, when they're trying to bribe the guy to get the materials, I guess they give him the yeah. formula for what is it? Tr transparent trans aluminum. Transparent aluminum. And then Which I was like, now. I was like, oh, this is going to. I know. I googled that. Yeah. It does exist. <laughs> I was like, this is totally going to mess up the future. The future. Like, I was just thinking, I was getting kind of like, come on, fuck off. Like, getting kind of pissed at that part. <laughs> and I don't necessarily need them to figure out how it is going to affect the future and how they're going to rectify it. All I need is for them to acknowledge it. And then right after, they go, oh, you realize this could affect the, f the future. And then he's like, how do we know he didn't invent it? And it's kind of yeah. like a chuckle. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm really glad they acknowledged it's it. It's a really self-aware movie. Yeah, like they, they brushed it off, yeah. but they acknowledged it. And that's I all I need sometimes. Totally. Well, but then brushing it off was uh, uh, irresponsible and not really uh -huh. keeping with Starfleet regulations. <laughs> like, so as a Picard man myself, Starfleet I'm like, like... Mike is like, I'm like excuse no, me. No officers would do... This. Excuse me, Chekhov left that phaser behind. He left uh, He left all his stuff behind. No, but <laughs> what if, and also that guy, like the aluminum guy, you seem kind of creepy. Like what, what's going to happen when he amasses is like mass power and wealth. Like who knows what event, mm -hmm. a bunch of events they set in motion. It just yeah. seems really irresponsible and they did acknowledge it. And I, you know, I couldn't remember exactly. And I thought maybe it was gonna be like, Scotty was like, oh, I didn't give him the full thing. Like it won't actually work, but they didn't. It was just like, fuck it, mm -hmm. you know? Well, it was like that thing in Goodwill Hunting where you, you answer the impossible equation on the board and somehow you know it's, correct but you wouldn't know how to do it yourself right so he knew that the formula was right somehow that, that's the what i got away from yeah like typing on the computer oh the typing was hilarious too <laughs> that was so funny and that was another great moment where it's like uh you need to use the mouse and then he talks to the mouse hello computer mm -hmm. you know there was a lot of great moments like yeah. that the other thing that i really love about this movie is that again as a guy who like liked the show before and to me like true Star Trek, and maybe it's not as prevalent to Next Generation. Maybe it really is. Is the uh, is that this movie had like no central bad guy? There was no one get like this yeah. is the only Star Trek movie where no one gets killed. Like it really is just about like kind of cosmic misunderstandings. It's not like there's no con. There's no like Cruise from the third one. It's all just this sort of adventure. That's that's it's high stakes. Like the Earth might. Well, like, the, the bad guy is like humanity, yeah. right? Yeah. Which totally. is sort of what I think that was the original vision of the whole thing, where there's always just sort of, it's not even bad guys, it's just mis that the universe is so huge, there's always some sort of misunderstandings. And even this probe, it's a misunderstanding. Like, that's what it is. It's probe that is looking for the whales and it, and it can't find them. It doesn't want to just like destroy the earth. It, it's just wondering where, where these whales are. Well, it's a very enlightened movie and maybe the first ever like Greenpeace like movie. Like if you think about the overall themes, it's really like, we shouldn't be, you know, uh, hunting animals to the point of extinction. Like yeah. the overall message is one of like sort of like wildlife preservation in yeah. a lot of ways and mm -hmm. then reflecting back on humanity. Mm -hmm. For me also, another, uh, I thought, really strong point uh, for keeping it on the pedestal is I'm not necessarily a huge like Kirk guy. Like a lot, you know, there's like Kirk Picard. Like I'm a Picard man. This is like, like peak Kirk. Yeah, well, Kirk is like, you know, I've never found Kirk's like swashbuckling rogue ways like super like, yeah, go get him. I, I like the discipline and thoughtfulness of a Picard. But I will say <laughs> that uh, Shatner in this movie is so good and charismatic. And I think the chemistry with um, Catherine Hicks, who plays the doctor, mm -hmm. the Marine uh, The mom from Seventh Heaven. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, and from Child's Play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was great. I thought they had real chemistry. Like, I enjoyed watching them together. And at that dinner scene, when she's like, oh, what are you, are, are you from outer space? And he's like, no, I'm from Iowa. I only work in outer space. Great line. And he delivers well, it. I had, some, I had that written down. Yeah. As, that When I said peak, because I was making notes as I went along. And when he said that line, I wrote peak Kirk. That line, like, from Iowa. I'm just working space. Yeah. Well, I had some questions about that. because So I don't, these guys, <laughs> they were born on Earth, all these people? Well, not Spock. He was born on Vulcan. Right. But yet, Sulu, Chekhov. Starfleet um, is based on Earth. Earth. It is, yeah, it's like an it Earth. It started in San Francisco. Like, yeah. So when they're flying around in the spaceship, they're just, their home base is really on Earth. That's yeah. where they would dock. 
I didn't know that. Yeah, that's where Starfleet is headquarters ah, is located. Yeah. But then they have alliances with like now, uh, you know, the Klingons and uh, the Vulcans and all these different species. Mm-hmm. So are they away on work trips like most of the time? Like are they- It's, it's like a mission. It's yeah, the they're mission. exploring, the exploration of space. So out of, if in 365 days, like if you- if you're like a stand-up comedian, you're always on the road. Like yeah. for their job, are they on the road like 300 days of the year? Or well, it's a five-year mission. That's the uh, yeah. the first five years. That's how ah, it starts. Okay. Yeah. And then yeah, I, yeah, I you go out and then come back. back. Yes. Did you guys think it was funny at all when um, Zulu when he's like Zulu. Zulu? Zulu. I don't know anything. <laughs> you know, good old Zoodles. <laughs> Zulu. Oh, Zulu. Zulu. Okay. When Zulu's like uh, San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You okay. mean with knowing what we know now? Yeah. <laughs> but do, was that in there because they knew or something? Was could be. I mean, I, I wondered about that part. Well, what's fascinating about uh, that Sulu character? Good impression, by the way. I enjoyed <laughs> yeah. it. San Francisco. San Francisco. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because that character is now gay. They've ri- oh, oh, they, they they've written okay. that into the canon of the like in the new J.J. Um, Abrams sort of adaptations and beyond. That so uh, has Harold a- from Harold and Kumar, he's. He's gay. In that. Sulu is gay. Oh, okay. That's right. Uh, which was never acknowledged before. This is actually one of the big um, shortcomings about Star Trek. Like one of the criticisms is that for such an enlightened show that like you know had you know episodes about androgyny and like what it means to be a man or a woman, and they would tackle these sort of interesting social um, issues in an enlightened way. They never had an openly gay uh, crew member hmm. on any of the shows: Voyager, Deep Space Nine, Star Trek: Next Generation. But they did. Would, would they ever touch on like? pure gayness with like aliens and be like, oh, they have a species where they like their own kind or something. No. Mm. There's one TNG episode where uh, their species isn't male or female, doesn't really identify, and Riker ends up falling, because Riker's a pretty horny dude, ends mm. up falling in love with who he's assigned to work with. And so that being starts to identify as female because she's attracted to Riker, but it kind of throws their equilibrium of their society and all into the whack. Ah. Anyway, Sulu is now gay. And now they do, on Star Trek Discovery, they have a, a gay couple like on there. So they've now mm-hmm. addressed it. But anyway, yes, it was very funny to uh, see Sulu get very excited about San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, okay, so what's what's next? Well, well hold on. Before, before move, yeah. I just want to say one last thing. Hit me. Because aside from the plot and the funny and everything, I really thought, because I, I, I rewatched like all four. Like, you watched meeting, the whole run up, like, yeah. Getting up just to, and this one is a genuinely beautifully made movie. Like it's a beautiful movie. It's like shot anamorphic. It's like has this like a lot of patience to it. It was nominated for Academy Award for cinematography. Like it is a really stunning movie where, where you, you it's stunning both in space and how they shoot San Francisco. Like yeah. it is a really, like it's an eye-pleasing movie. The, the props, special effects, like it's- Props to Leonard Nimoy. Mm-hmm. And you know who, yeah. and you know who was jealous as hell about this? Shatner, Mr. Shatner, who they Absolutely. Gave, he got to direct the next <laughs> yeah, one, the next one that bombed, the Final Frontier, like, which uh, people really don't like. I think it's got some good, good stuff. In you it. know that for a, like a, a long time, Shatner was just not going to do the movie, and they were having they were developing as like a prequel first with like, like for four, you mean for four, yeah. Interesting. And then eventually he agreed to come on for like a huge pay raise, and they because they had to pay him and all the cast so much they had to take all the money out that they were going to put into this new show, Next Generation, which forced them to have all, like, unknown actors. That's a big reason why there was no, like, name people in Next Generation. Interesting. Essentially because of Shatner. There's a documentary that Shatner did called Chaos on the Bridge, all about the beginnings and how the Next Generation started, and they talked to the showrunners. And so Gene Roddenberry, the visionary who created this whole Star Trek universe, uh, when they cast... um, Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart, who's this like, you know, London Servant. stage actor. Uh, they were all thrilled, but it was such a weird thing that like um, Gene Roddenberry is like, there's no way in fucking hell my captain's going to be bald. Like he mm-hmm. felt like it was so, you know, he'd come off Shatner, who was this dashing guy. And, like he just thought if we're going to have like the lead of this sort of, you know, the swashbuckling space uh, captain, he couldn't imagine that. Like a dignified Didn't man. He, like, exactly. And just like, ha- there was no leads on TV. Where Didn't Roddenberry like fly in a wig that he's like, I saw, I saw the picture. They have tests with yeah. Stuart in a wig. <laughs> oh, I'd yeah. love to see that. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so yeah, I agree. The movie does look great. I th- like, I think uh, Nimoy did a great job directing yeah. it. 
Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I liked when uh, they went around the, the sun because the sun like kind of whips them into yes. like a super speed, I guess, to make them go back in time. That's what yeah, I mean. they jump. Yeah, they use the, the, the sun's gravitational pull to like get them to a speed that I think sends so them like back. So like Superman, for him to go back time, he reverses the earth, right? Yeah. And so these they use the sun to go to like some special. But I liked when uh, they're all tripping out. For, like, oh my yeah, goodness! Yeah. I was I gonna bring that up. I didn't know if that was a reason to knock it off. I loved though. it. No, no. I, yeah, I, I, I the 3D it. renderings where the heads are yeah, coming I'm, out. But of I the, thought it was it was kind of like uh, interesting. What's it? The uh, 2001: Space Odyssey ass yes. inspired, and it, it kind of made me wonder if Nimoy was on LDS. At the time. <laughs> Back in the 60s, he was part of the free speech movement at Berkeley. I think he did a little too much LDS. LDS. Mm. <laughs> Another good, good line pop. from the movie. <laughs> and, and the, the, the way that Shatner, when he's trying to fit in, this is the thing, like, I think Shatner's so good in this film because it's like, he has a confidence about trying to fit in even when he's like, I think he did a little bit too too much LDS. LDS. Yeah. But the way he delivers it, like, just the confidence, there's so much comedy there that comes from well, him. And it's like he always is in the know even though he's not. Yes. And I like how he puts down Nimoy, like, you shouldn't be using these uh, this slang even though... He uses uh, <laughs> incorrectly like, also. Like, I'll give you $100. Is that a lot? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, like, um, and, yeah. And speaking of, I thought the effects in general, like I, I even looked up, like, does this some like new remaster? I was wondering that when I was that watching I saw it. because if it isn't, these effects for 1986 Pretty good. are spectacular. Yeah. Like they're spectacular mm -hmm. for 1986. Like, like and apparently the whales were like almost all like models, animatronics, everything like, hmm. like they were good looking whales. Yeah. yeah. They're sexy whales. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, like anti-whaling people were actually mad at this movie because they assumed that they were like shooting with like real whales and stuff. Yeah. And so that was when uh, Spock jumps down and that's a funny scene. That's too, a great scene. When all of a sudden he's just in the so tank. So glad I got with to see Leonard Nimoy's like pasty thighs. <laughs> yeah. That was one of the unintentional funny yeah. parts. Uh, so that that was a completely fake whale. Apparently, that whole scene is like the most complicated. It's like they're in a room or they're looking at a brick wall, and then they have Leonard Nimoy by himself, and they, like they have, it's it's a million things kind of composited together. So yeah, there was, but it looks absolutely real. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So we like a lot about this movie. So that's a lot of good reasons to keep it on a pedestal. So guys, what, Mike, yes, pops and I, we keep looking at each other every time you say pedestal. Oh, geez. pedestal. You keep saying pedestal. 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 Yeah. Pedestal. Might have to do some inserts on that. Give me a few it. wild yeah. pedestals. <laughs> yeah, how many times have we been saying it? You said it like four times, but we've looked at each other every time. Pedestal. So. Pedestal. I always thought, yeah, it's one of those weird words. Hey man, for it's me. all good. All right. Hey, it's all good. Um, part of the process. So a lot of good reasons to keep it on a pedestal. Uh, actually, you know what though? Best scene. For me, what legitimately it was the trial at the end <laughs> where, because it felt like it was a full, it was a, like it, not, it was a proper happy ending for the movie, but it was also a proper ending to the story of Kirk becoming this admiral and not feeling very happy about it. And oh, and in the last three movies, like keep finding his way back onto the Enterprise and into another adventure. And like the punishment is you are now captain again. And then like You'll this get, movie yeah. that didn't, that like it was actually sort of jarring to not have the Enterprise for almost the whole movie. And then at the very end, it's beautiful Enterprise like comes in. It was just, it felt like a proper, like they stuck the landing and it felt really, really good. Just a question about that. Yeah. When he's... What's the difference between admirable, admiral, and captain? He's not on. He's not supposed to be on. He's not really supposed. What does to he be, do? He's like he's, a bureaucratic guy. Like he's like a figurehead, oh. or he makes big decisions. He's not and then be going out on missions. Anymore. But he's a natural born captain. That's all yes. he really wants to be. Yeah. Yes. So couldn't he, he ain't turn, supposed to be behind a desk? Couldn't he turn down the promotion though? Or is that incredibly rude? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, if you believe in the sort of Starfleet hierarchy and they give you, they promote you to admiral, you take I think it. It's also, very much military, like in the military. Okay. You know what yeah. I mean? They, and also, you might be blocking a Spock that wants to become captain. Yeah. You know, like Roddenberry, I think, up. really like almost slavishly like modeled after like American military. And sure. Hierarchy. So in in the third one, did he become admiral admiral at the end? He was already admiral, I think, at the beginning, the beginning of part of the one. second one. Oh, the second one. He so does up, he yeah. not do any captain stuff? On the but he just keeps kind of like he finds a way. Yeah, the right. plot of the second one is that he's there's just supposed to be uh like the old crew of the enterprise is there with the new crew of the enterprise just sort of like gotcha. yeah. okay showing them the ropes until this big thing happens and kirk just happens to be on the enterprise when this happens they get roped into a mission four straight for movies, movies. man we're yeah. too old for this like yeah <laughs> favorite scene shane my favorite i think i think this is like everyone's favorite scene it has to be um where 
Spock's dad says, is there anything uh, you'd like me to tell your mother message? And he's like, I'm fine. I thought that was just, it, it kind of like if you were unsure about the movie, that would push you over the edge to maybe like it. Interesting. Or like it certainly a lot more. Wasn't that, was that not a huge scene? Yeah, no, oh, yeah, no absolutely. Especially for someone like Spock to like be considerate of the emotions of his mother. Like that was kind of like the you had me at hello of the Bring movie. The how yeah. do you feel from his training yeah, in the beginning? Because that yeah. like I was really like invested and I didn't know I was until that line. That's right. see that's mm -hmm. a, that's an interesting. I don't I, think a lot of people would point. I actually that didn't. Out. I swear to really? God, I did oh, not. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. I I thought it was so obvious that people wouldn't say it because it's so obvious. Oh no, I, that wouldn't even have, have stood out. I mean, but it is, a, it's a great moment. And I, I'm glad you picked that as your favorite scene because it is one that I wouldn't have thought about more so because there's so many funny scenes that stand out. Like the comedy kind of yeah. jumps out more, but that's also, definitely more heartfelt. Mark Leonard as Sarek is just awesome. Yeah, I man. love him. He's so yeah. like, he's, who is Mark Leonard, sir? The Sarek, his dad. Like, uh, sorry, Spock's dad. Oh, okay. He is, he's I, been like, playing that character since, since the original the show. show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's just, oh, he's it works. Yeah. One of those guys that just like owned, like at the beginning, like when he walks out in the trial. He's a gravitas. Like, oh, Sarek, it's Sarek, it's Sarek. Well, and Sarek's <laughs> character is like um, a legend in Starfleet because yeah. he's such like a, a celebrated negotiator and he's like, you know, done treaties with all these other aliens and stuff like that. Right. Um, my, you know, I'm going to say this scene just because I've kind of always enjoyed the slapstick and, and lightness of it, but I really like the hospital scene when they have to oh, go in so and, good. and get Chekhov and I, it always slays me when it's the woman with the kidney dialysis. Doctor gave me a pill and I got a new kidney. Yeah. <laughs> Fully functional. <laughs> oh my goodness. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, and it's like, is it fully functioning? It's yeah, like, like, it is. <laughs> and they're like, it's a miracle. It's a, like, they, like, just to tag that. So it's like, they get to the hospital, <laughs> you know, uh, DeForest Kelly gives her the pill because he's like, ah, oh, you know, he can't just get over the Just through DeForest Kelly too. They just go, yeah, they go, they, they save Chekhov and then just on their way out, just as like a tag on the scene, it's her dancing around in the wheelchair and then all the doctors marveling at the miracle following, <laughs> trying to figure it out. And Amazing. she just acted it really. It just makes me really happy. Uh, another funny scene you just reminded me that really made me laugh too is when uh, like security is kind of questioning the doctors as they're bringing uh, Chekhov out or whatever. And they're like, <laughs> they're like but you brought a woman in here. <laughs> and which was like, oh, one little mistake. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, if this is like how Star Trek is, this is a really hilarious. Which I is so interesting because yeah. the three movies preceding it were the most dour, especially like the first one is just the most boring, dour movie ever, like Star Trek 1. And it's just, it's funny that it, but the show is really funny. No, you mean the original? Yeah. No, see, to me, I think like the brand of humor, like the really self-aware, not taking yourself too seriously, like, I think this is kind of the genesis of that, is this movie. You know, because like the show isn't really funny in that. Some episodes are pretty, like tribbles and, and like there are some yeah, episodes Yeah, there's a little pretty... bit, but there was a self-awareness and like maybe the comedy just got better by this movie. But for me, that lightness is there in a lot of like Next Generation episodes. Like Worf mm -hmm. has a lot of funny lines. I, I mean, right. I don't, it's hard to not then go back and just talk about I Next know, Generation. Because it's I should fun. just have a Next Generation pod. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so the, those are our three favorite scenes. Yeah. Who was the best performer in the movie? Who, who, who stole the movie for I everybody? I mean, I'm I, You've on said, the record of saying that Bones is... I think Bones is the best character. McCoy? In, uh, yeah, he's just he's just a, just a grumpy old doctor. He's just great, and and all, and whenever he has a scene with Spock, and then his sort of like his their back and forth. Like yeah. he, like he's such a perfectly defined character, and it lets him like deadpan lines, like the most nothing lines, that get huge laughs. And like you said, the hospital scene is just incredible. It's just him just railing on how horrible like medicine is in, in the twentieth century, while going around and like saving a bunch of lives. Like he's just, uh, anyways. I think. DeForest Kelly is incredible. I would say William Shatner for sure. Like he, I thought like from what I knew about Star Trek is people always doing that imitation where they're like, yeah. hey, what do I do? Or that, that awkward speech pattern. Yeah. The Star Trek five, Kirk. Right. So <laughs> in this, like I thought he balanced like dignity and levity and he, you know, he still had command, but he would be silly. And it was that perfect balance where I, I believed it. And, totally. And when he was being like had the kind of naivete about being in uh, on in the past, past, I guess it just made it funnier because he had that good balance of dignity and yeah. humor. Yeah, I agree. I think I think William Shatner. You know, there was times because I was thinking about this. So who whose movie is this? Who's the funniest person's movie? Like, and I think Spock has a lot of great lines, and because by nature his character is so 
He's not emotional, so his reacting or just trying to fit in plays really well. A lot of the lying really stuff well. sort of played like, yeah, like a lot of those like back and forth. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you, Shane. I think it's a sh- I think Shatner owns this movie. Like his charisma, his comedy, his timing. It's like, you know, Shatner's become a bit of a caricature to a lot of people. But I think it's like, oh, yeah, if you want to see like what he brings to the table, it's like just watch yeah. him in this. And he's really great. He's great. Okay, fellas. Like, do we talk about things we didn't like? Yeah, we're, we're gonna we're gonna move we're gonna move to uh, things that may cause us to knock it off the pedestal. Okay, so right off the bat, I'm not liking the um, I, I want to call it the drone. What was a probe? The the probe. Sure. That seemed a little just like arbitrary. It's like, oh, this probe is uh, kind of like, like a monolith, but it's like. But, kinda, yeah. but isn't that? I know you always need the MacGuffin thing. Yeah. But it felt a little just like, okay, we just need to get here, and here's the little excuse thing. We're not really going to explain exactly what's going right. on. So I had to like kind of like do research. <laughs> like, And I still – people were still very confused online exactly. You know they made a, a, a sequel novel that it fully explains the probe, and it's still not a great case, explanation. Case, <laughs> case in point. Yeah. Like, I, I, actually, speaking of fan literature, there's fan literature about uh, Dr. Jillian Taylor. Like, So that's the, the marine biologist that they bring to the future. There's stories about what she does when she gets to the future, like after the events of Star Trek IV. Yeah, well... Speaking th- of uh, uh, things that we don't like about this movie... I thought she was terrible. You sent them away without even letting me say goodbye to them? You son of a bitch! Okay. (laughs) So, not to step on what you're saying. What's what's her name? I I just know her seventh heaven mom. Catherine Hicks. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if we're going to talk about her, yeah, she bothered me also. Not in the, like, I liked, she has a, the second you look at her, she has that, and maybe this is because I know her from seventh heaven. You, you kind of know she's a good person. Yeah, she embodied that. So, yeah, I, I, I believed it the second I saw her. What bothers me is she's got a real good thing going. Yeah, with her, her I know, a good love story. And then it's just like, okay, like what? I like that the, Kirk didn't want her on the ship. I was like, okay, you're clearly kind of in love with her. She could be your next wife or whatever. But you're being Kirky enough. You're not going to bring her back to the future because that would be a, a selfish move. She hops on, and he's like, okay, you're here now. You you get to stay. <laughs> And she stays, and he's probably looking forward to a little action. And then she's like, oh, I'm going to Science World now. See you around like, the galaxy. It's like, you're going to Science World? <laughs> well, what about us? Oh, oh we'll wait see a around. I've got some 200 years of science to catch up on. It's like, does she love science that much? <laughs> totally. And the look on Kirk's face, and the only reason I can think of that they did that is because Kirk is so known for getting the girl. Like, he's like the horniest yeah. captain in Starfleet. That's what the whole original series was. Like, everywhere they went. But he kind of kept his paws to himself. I I thought he was very reserved. If he's the horniest captain, he was very reserved and gentlemanly. Yeah, the, it was, the look was almost he was bewildered. Like, really? Did she just walk away? Like, that doesn't I, happen to I me. I just thought she, as a performance, it didn't, I was like, she's not bad. It just didn't feel like it fit with what was going on, it felt like she was almost in like another movie. Like it felt like she was just very mm-hmm. kind of like hyster- like everyone else is very common. She worked for me as like this impassioned like whale lover, yeah, marine biologist. Like yeah, it was a little ridiculous when she slapped her superior because they moved the whales in Bob. the middle of the night. Yeah, Bob. I could do without Bob. That's another guy. <laughs> <laughs> Bob was shaky. I agree. The Bob subplot. When he comes up and is like penny for your thoughts or whatever he said to her. Uh, but she worked for me, and I and her chemistry mm-hmm. with Kirk like worked because. She also has to make us believe that she's going to end up trusting their story that they're from the future and that it could all happen so fast. Yeah, she bought into that pretty quick. It was pretty quick. But, you know, I I did think, like, Kirk did a good job of kind of not over-explaining it, but still explaining it in a believable way. I was like, okay, I kind of buy it. But it was like, why not just shore the fucking ship? Like, <laughs> just knock and see, like, see this invisible thing? This is a ship. Don't believe me? Knock, knock. That's a whole other thing. Her miming skills, though, were pretty perfect. You could, like, it was almost like they, they cast her just because her miming. Yeah, I was like, oh, she ship. took some acting classes. Yeah. But they uh, should have had some sound design in there. It yeah. would have added yes. to the mime. Well, speaking of that and these leaps of logic, and it's hard to pick apart these sci-fi fantasies, but it's like they park their cloaked ship in Golden Gate Park. Does, does nobody use that park? Is nobody yeah. walking into this massive- One of the most like dense cities yeah. in, in the that, world. That was a question I have for you guys also. When they, uh, What is it called when they go invisible? Cloak. So when, they, when the cloak's on- is there a mode you can put it on where you can walk through it? No, and, fuck no. It's, oh, this, that's, that's horrible then. This Klingon bird of prey is- I know, I just thought maybe they- into it, bangs back like a but it's Bugs like, Bunny cartoon. Nobody's walking their dog. Like, you just, you're, I mean, I guess they weren't there very long. Like, what, less than 24 hours? So yeah. it's like, 
they get there at night, but then that whole next day, like nobody runs into the ship. Yeah, that I, that's would be all a huge thinking. news story. Yeah. Yes. And then like when uh, Sulu comes with the chopper and they're lowering in the materials and it's like that Very weird clear. illusion where the, yeah. the ship's cloaked. It's like, is nobody hang out at this park in the middle yeah. of the day? Mm-hmm. Is I the only one thinking that? I wasn't, but but I guess I didn't really think about it, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I really wasn't thinking was about it. Was the indent on the ground? Was yeah. That, that was bad. That was yeah. like that, that was, was the that worst was, effect in the movie was that indent, indent on, the ground. on the ground, which is yeah. supposed to be like the uh, like the wheels of the the bird of prey. That like, looked horribly. It's fake. landing piece. Yeah, and every a lot of stuff in this movie I thought was appropriately for that time period. That was not done well. <laughs> uh, the uh, the reason why I wanted your opinion, Shane, specifically about yeah. this, is that I was thinking this a lot for the, especially for the first like quarter of the movie. Without the context of the other, t- like, does this movie, can this movie actually stand up on its own without the context of two and three? Because to me, I think that's a mm-hmm. big deal. It's a big question. It's a good question, too. Yeah. Yeah, I just had certain, the only questions really running through my mind is, like, when he said he was from Ohio, I was like, is he telling Iowa. the truth? Or is this a, just a, a right. joke cover thing? No, he's a farm boy. He's from Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. I, I figured as much. Iowa. Yeah. Like, did it, did you ever feel lost or did you feel, I just, the the probe stuff really lost me. I didn't like any of the, the trial stuff. Because the opening is that that's cleaning up business from three. Yeah. So for you to come in, it's kind of like, you get that, oh, they're in trouble and they're on their way back. I don't know why he's in trouble necessarily, even though they kind of did try to do it. But for someone that hasn't watched it, the reason why I think it kind of works is, yeah, it's a little bit messy in the beginning if you haven't, if you're not aware, but really what's... All you need to know is they're from the future, they're going to the past, and then you're into it, I think, if, if, without the context yeah, of the Yeah, like others. this movie, I was thinking the exact opposite, actually. I was like, does, would this movie work for Trekkers? Because it feels like Interesting. such a play at the mainstream audiences. I thought you guys would be annoyed that it didn't feel like it was part of your world. Right. No, it totally works for me because yeah. of that, I think. Again, I found this movie genuinely funny, but it did feel like a lot of the jokes were sort of sitcom style where they relied on characterizations and they relied on you knowing that this is silly that Spock would talk like this. Like, or did, did all the Oh, jokes- they set it up pretty okay. good. Because it's one of the, like, again, like I'm someone who, know, like I know all this stuff, but I'm like, if I had to watch this with someone who had no idea even who yeah, Spock Yeah, the second you see Spock, you're like, okay, he looks like a humorless nerd. And then he's like, why would I do that? And you're like, okay, he's a humorless nerd. And they, they do some some good uh, groundwork. Like they lay some track where he has the conversation with his mom and he's basically yeah. capable of feeling yeah. and the, you know, the sort of, uh, well, you're half human. Like they're giving information that you would know if you've watched the show, but if mm-hmm. you're new, you're learning about Spock in one conversation with his mom. Right. What are your guys' thoughts on uh, the R word being dropped? Hey, I have that. I have That's that in my notes. So what <laughs> things is, I liked. What, <laughs> what has what has aged badly? Uh, that line. That I, line. I wrote. Oh boy, troublesome. Yeah. Here's what I think. I think people in real life, especially like uh, they, they might say that word. I agree. So although it's not a nice word, I think you could say that nowadays. It would probably maybe change the rating of the film. So I do think it is out of place for this film. But I think you could say it even nowadays, and right. you'd just be like, "Oh, that's a bad guy." It would speak to that character who said it. It tells you something in about context. Him it. it makes sense. Like we're just calling well, check like off. certain like, R-rated comedies, if the guys are joking, they, they might do that to for shock laughs. Yeah, and you wouldn't be like, "Oh, I hate that character." But in, in this, nowadays, I think you would. Yeah, yeah, maybe. that word's poison. You know, for good reason. Like to use it in a derogatory way. You know, mm-hmm. they're using it to describe Chekhov because they think he's crazy because he's talking about the future and that he works for Starfleet. And then they use the R word to describe, like, the, you know, he's out of his mind was what they're saying when they use that word. Right. I think nowadays if you use that to, like, describe somebody in a derogatory way, I don't think you could score laughs off it you in know, any I was, movie. I was watching a comedian use it the other day and he was scoring laughs. Really? Yeah, uh, Bill Burr. Interesting. How did he use it? I guess it's all context, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'll be fired. (laughs) Let's stay away from it. Um, Okay, so that word is problematic. Did anything else not age well for you guys? Just things that confuse me a little bit. Why are the whales come? Why are they bringing the whales back again? Because this probe is trying to like communicate with Earth, and and this probe, in by being in Earth's atmosphere, is like knocking out all. Uh, electricity and it's destroying the oceans and it's looking for and it's sending out this this uh, signal that's actually a whale song and it's just looking for whales so they're like the only way we're going to be able to send this thing away is to bring a whale back but, but to, to Shane's point, probe. what are the implications does right. that mean that whales are extraterrestrial 
does that mean that whales just happen to speak the same language? Like this is what I've always thought about for years. Is I'm always like, what is the implication? Does that is this monolith? Is that the origin of whales, or is there a whale-like species in another part of the galaxy? Why would they know to come right. here, or did they did they leave whales here like their brethren, th- thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago? Now they've come back to say hello. Like, what what is the implication? Do you think they on purpose were trying to do like us, like the like the silly whale thing? Like, as I know we're talking in a grand way, but the, but if you asked, would they be like, no, it's just silly. It's just silly that they're looking for whales, and is that okay? I'd like to think that they they the writers or you know the creators have a backstory. Of course, there and there and, is there is an answer to that. They, and and I can I can deal with a silly answer, but I just want it to be acknowledged that this is a little confusing. And like, I, I just want one other character to be like, so what? Like, uh, the whales are just gonna talk, and this mo- this monolith's gonna go away. And then I want someone to go, pretty much. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, they acknowledged it instead right. of me wondering or feeling stupid, like I'm missing something the whole movie. So I had that you know, as a little bit of distraction, a little bit of a distraction. And like, you know how they they transport the the whales? Can't they just transport them out of the ocean without like? Picking two specific that was whales? it was also yeah that was like I was watching it with with my wife for a part of it and her exact words were Earth is gonna die and they're just sort of like roaming the streets of San Francisco like looking for whales like this feels very flawed where it was just like like exactly like this was the plan just go to San Francisco and walk around and hope a couple whales pop up like right. is that really the best like you like you said wouldn't it just Go to the ocean and they have a ship. No, but they, but, they still oh, right. needed to of build course, the tank. Like they couldn't transport the whales properly until they got the materials for the tank. So it was like no matter what, they had to go and find a way yes. to actually get the whales to So it was sort of, it just happens. But like, they could have used any whales. the ship and yes, all that. Yes, 100% they could have used any whales. Okay, and are are we to believe that these two whales are going to repopulate the whale population? It's implication. Okay, because the, they they did mention the one is pregnant. The repopulate thing was also it felt like it was kind of slipped in there. It's like on sure. top of uh, sending She's this probe pregnant. away, we're also gonna repopulate all the whales. Well, here's what's okay. So here's a sort of like a, a nerdy thought that I had. <laughs> so the implication is that whales are far smarter than we know, and, and Spock has a bit of like a, a line about that. I think to McCoy, like you know, there's certain types of intelligence that you know we can't quite uh, measure, and it's you know it's hubris to think humans are the smartest things or whatever. So. Starfleet has um, found a way through like the universal translator to communicate with all sorts of species. I thought, I thought the exact same thing. And if whales, like you're telling me that in like, you know, this thousand years or whatever, they haven't found a way to speak to whales if they speak to all these other yeah. like sentient and smart mm-hmm. species. Like you'd think they would have cracked the whale song code but by now. Especially Spock, they, well, Spock did. Spock had a conversation with the whale. We're only trying to help. The hell you were, Buster. Your friend was messing up my tanks and messing up my whales. They like you very much, but they are not the hell your whales. I, I suppose they told you that, huh? The hell they did. He no, he connected. He did a Vulcan mind meld. Like a T he telepathically oh. connected. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> when his hand was on the whale's face, that was like him telepathically connecting. So but he can do that to anyone. Anyone, yeah. Oh, then all you need is Spock around and you can do anything. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Yeah. It's true. Yes. That's cool. That's the takeaway. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Another thing that that didn't work for me was. Um when at the very end, when they're all hanging in the water and they're playing like really sentimental music and they're like, yeah. they're high fiving and stuff, I felt like they were forcing down my throat that I was supposed to feel exhilarated, but I didn't really. I also thought that water must be freezing. Like- yeah, <laughs> and it, it felt it, that part felt overly cheesy to me. Yeah. Well, I also found myself wondering, like, did Shatner throw somebody in the water and then they all started being like, oh, that's a good idea? Or was the plan always to have the cast kind of throwing each other into the water, like? Yeah, like it was a playful, and then like Nemo saw him editing. He was like, "Keep it all in. I love it." It's yeah, really, it's, it's yeah, an, yeah, yeah. A, a spontaneous the scene with the crew really like playing with each other. Yeah, yeah it was odd. I, I couldn't agree. take my eyes off Scotty for some reason either in that scene. Really? Yeah, I don't know. He's a beautiful like, man. <laughs> <laughs> but he just looks like so old and out of shape, and I was like worried for him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, stop. Yeah. It was the first Star Trek where we were concerned for the seniors' health. Yeah. <laughs> um, anything else? Speaking of the whale stuff, do you did you feel the anti-whaling message? Did it feel? Oh on the my nose? god! Did, it did feel I cloying? feel it? I mean, I thought you felt it. They played a legit... It was like a PSA, right? Yeah, like a legit video of a whale being murdered alive. Like, that was terrifying. Do you feel that it was too cloying on the... Or did it feel appropriate? It felt appropriate. Yeah. Especially because it's coming from the point of view of the 23rd century, like this utopia where they've sort of evolved as a a species and all. that, That practice, if it's jarring for you to see, think about what it's like for them to see, like... 
who have and you it's know, it's just unnecessary. It's illogical. Like it, the, yeah, killing the whales doesn't provide anything that you can't get without killing the whales, according to the film. Exactly, which is which speaks to sort of like man's cruelty and not- well, it's like when they say rhino horn is going to make your boner bigger or harder <laughs> or something. It's like all these fallacies are killing rhinos. Yeah, and it barely works. <laughs> <laughs> I got to keep trying. Uh, when. I specifically wrote when they were tra- when they were time traveling. I thought of you specifically because things you were, were thinking me a lot in this. Film. Well, just because <laughs> what's well, Shane they're, doing? They're all there were <laughs> he taking some rhino horn. <laughs> <laughs> hey now, uh, they these it was very silly how these things kept like randomly falling off stuff. Like it was felt very cheesy and cheap how like they're traveling through time at warp speed and then like a stapler like falls yeah. off. Yeah. Well, I think that is kind of paying homage to. Like they, they have that famous technique where they don't move the, they just move yeah, the shake and the camera. camera. So I thought that was being like a cutesy thing that everyone likes to see the sparks and the wires or whatever flying out. I, I thought Nimoy did a good job, like an effective job of like, okay, let's take us down. All he did was he would tilt the camera yeah. so that you felt like so he had a the lot space. of patience. He yeah. did, and he just did. a lot of like tilting the camera, which would like it'd be something you'd like see in film school, and you're like, yep. it seems like the simplest thing, but it does make you feel with the sound effects, yeah. like the the ship's just going down. I know? think you he picked up a ton of shit, obviously from shooting the show, and they they use very rudimentary yeah. things that are effective. Totally. Yeah, totally. so I, I like that. And I, I was thinking about you, actually. Uh, no, you know. I'm kidding. But <laughs> no, I was thinking about that scene a lot, like how simple and effective it was. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I know we're talking about negative stuff, but like the, the effects where there's like smoke and fog and sparks, like I thought it was like charming. I thought, exactly, like, that's like, the word I was charming. looking for. charming. Like, because like Star Wars and stuff like had all come out at this point. So that means they made like a specific choice to mm-hmm. do these sort of like old school effects. And I liked it. I liked it a lot. Speaking of Star Wars, uh, you remember when the Force Awakens trailer came out, mm-hmm. like the big one, and the, the the big moment was when um, Han Solo and Chewie get back on the Millennium Falcon. It says, yeah. Chewie, we're home. We're home, that's right. Did you not notice in this movie, uh, the minute they got back on the Enterprise at the end, Kirk says to the crew, my friends, we've come home. Mm. No, like that that's part. good. I didn't even notice. That's great. So part <laughs> of me was like, was J.J. Biting that for Force Awakens. That's great. Because it's exactly the same construct. It's like they get on this old ship that they haven't been on, that they spent so much time on, and it's like... Crazy. Yeah. Is there anything else on that magic list? Any other flaws? I mean, you know, I I have what what is aged badly, what was bad even then, and then flaws. And I think we've like... uh, Well, I mean, I I just want to like... Again, I'm, I'm going to double down that I thought Catherine Hicks just did not fit in this movie at all. Even when like she's pretending to be like the patient and she's like trying to pretend that she's sick and it sounds like she's having like an orgasm. That's her, that's her example of pretending she's in pain. It just, she just sort of felt like this did not, this, this square peg in a round hole. Do you think this is, this is a a character issue or an actor issue? Character issue. I don't think she was bad. I just felt like it was this sort of. She bought in too quick, and now yeah, she's like and on just this sort of like there's nothing adventure. for me here. When when she's when when she has to go, and I'm like, is, are, really? I didn't know that. Like like a big reason why you're willing to like literally go like hundreds of th- hundreds of years into the future is I have no idea anything about you. It just felt very kind of to me. It works because I think I think once you realize she's this marine biologist, and that in that speech she gives on the tour when we first meet her, I think you kind of understand her thinking the kind of person she is. And to me, I do feel like she's the sort of person that would get caught up in this and be like, I absolutely mm-hmm. want to explore the same thing that drew me to the ocean and marine right. biology and sort of the the idea of learning the unknown. I think it fit with that character, or at least you could justify it in my yeah. mind. I, it happened quick, but you know, well, in a movie. This film, it didn't feel like, uh, like 2001 A Space Odyssey, which I think ages amazingly where it still feels like even today like a technological achievement it's awesome it, this it's felt like, like an 80s film <laughs> yeah so the, the whole movie i'm gonna say didn't age super well i felt like i was watching a, a, a retro film that i'm i'm always putting a caveat on how i truly feel about it while i'm watching it and i'm i was never not thinking about the time period uh, in which it was made not necessarily what it was trying to depict yeah but when when spock jumps into the 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 tank the tank like you, the, these days, you know, like for a kid just watching it, that guy would be like jailed, arrested in a deep yeah. shit. And they kind of just <laughs> let it slide. Yeah. Not only that, when, when he's in the tank, 
people are just like almost pretending they don't see him. I thought about and that. And only Shatner can see yeah. him magically like his buddy. And he's like, oh no. Uh, 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 <laughs> I thought about that a lot. And my only way I could justify it, or th- I, I was like, okay, makes sense, is that Shatner's the only one that knows he's not supposed to be in there. He could just be a guy that like helps, the, like he could work for SeaWorld. In his underwear. Everyone's <laughs> going to be looking at a whale. When you're in a whale tank, it's a pretty fascinating thing. And Spock is like borderline comically hanging up and <laughs> communicating with the, the whale. Yeah. And no one's noticing. And I guess mm-hmm. they did hire a lot of elderly people, and maybe that's the excuse. <laughs> but that that did that aged horribly, I right. thought. And the whole time it, it just I'm laughing. At that point, I was laughing at the film and not with the film. Yeah, yeah. It crossed my mind. I'm like, mm-hmm. how come Shatner's the only one that's like, this is weird? And the only thing I could think of is they think he's also a marine biologist. Mm-hmm. But I guess he would be in a wetsuit or something. And the effect when they went around the sun, although I liked it. Yeah. I liked it for the time. You, you couldn't, yeah, you, you couldn't you, pull those computer shit nowadays. You, it, they would be laughed out of the room. Oh, for sure. The nuclear vessels. Can you direct me to the naval base in Alameda? It's where they keep the nuclear vessels. Is that a pro or a con? I'm curious. <laughs> like the way Chekhov pronounced The way does the whole, that, just say that scene in general, vessels, nuclear vessels, Wessel, nuclear vessels, yeah. nuclear It's like this. It's a cheap laugh. He's so, trying to say vessels, but okay, he... Yeah, yeah, I got but that. But his name is Chekhov. There's a V in his name. He knows what a V sound is. It just always... Yeah. Pavel. Pavel Chekhov. Pavel. Yeah, pa- I, Pavel. Right? I, maybe that character is a beloved character. I did not... I thought he was a bit of a hack. Like, if we're talking... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, you know why he got cast in the original series? No. Because the monkeys, <laughs> the monkeys was the number one show on TV, or a really popular show anyway, and he looked a lot like Davy Jones. Oh, wow. So if I you, thought you were going to say it was Davy Jones. <laughs> no. It blow my mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gearing up to be like, wait like, a minute. What? If you look at Chekhov from the 60s when he's in the show, he just looks like, like a cute yeah. guy. He's yeah. Davy Jones, essentially. Okay. And so they, they were like, oh, let's put him in because all the girls love Davy Jones from the monkeys. Did it, like, did, were girls drawn to Chekhov? Uh, I think sci-fi is a hard sell <laughs> yeah. for teen girls. <laughs> and when, when Chekhov's trying to talk to the, the police, policeman i didn't like how the policeman just stone coldly doesn't react like i get he's in shock and this guy's being weird but give him some reaction yeah that that you mean the interrogation no when Chekhov, uh he's looking for uh the nuclear vessel oh yes and he, he's he, there's a, a police officer who's just kind of standing there stoically wearing his uh, aviators yeah. and he doesn't say anything when he's asked the question like these days people would Respond. Does yeah. Walter Koenig... The 80s were a cold decade, Does man. Koenig have an accent, or is that just purely a put-upon? Uh, I think he has a slight accent, if I'm remembering correctly, but right. it's not any. Because it sounds like, like it that. sounds like a cartoon character, yeah. right? Yeah, it's very broad. So are we? Are we? Let's get at to the, the point. I think we need to get to the uh, whether we keep it on or knock it off the pedestal. I want to start with you guys. <laughs> well, I John, mean, take it, take it away. I mean, I think the fact that every con that we talked about we almost kept i felt like we kept cycling back to yeah but yeah like i feel like any negative aspect of the movie is like vastly outweighed by the cool crazy plot and the and the hilarious I, I like i think it's slam dunk to keep it on I, I love it yeah i think uh for where it sits uh in history uh, as far as like how it's viewed as one of the the better or if not the best star trek film in general it is 100% that, and then I think outside of just the Star Trek canon, I think it stands on its own as like just a super entertaining film, yeah. so I think it deserves its place on its pedestal. Pedestal. Uh, I think this is a super entertaining film, but it's like one of those movies, if you were sh- to show it to your children, like teenagers, they'd kind of like roll their eyes at it. <laughs> a, a, lot, a lot of people who like it have, uh, you know, n- a lot of nostalgia is creeping in, and this for is, sure, like for for the the Trekkies, I feel like this is kind of a um, uh, what's the word? It's a, a novelty, and and because it is a little bit more frivolous, and Star Trek's a little bit more rigid, the people are like, ah, this is great, and people like the broader appeal, which. I think Trekkers like when people are sucked into their world and one more Trekker is another like Mm -hmm. friend or person to talk about the show (laughs) with. So although I- only people. (laughs) Yeah, although I did, uh, I was entertained by it. I couldn't help but think this film was definitely made in the 80s. This movie does not stand the test of time despite everyone wanting it to stand the test of time. And for that reason, although this may be a polarizing opinion, uh, I'm taking it off the pedestal. You know, that's a great thought. And I don't know if we're, we're here to sway each other's thinking, but you uh-huh. got me thinking about something very interesting. And that's 
for something to be on a pedestal, like like I said, within the Star Trek universe, sure. But what's the larger sort of genre there? Science fiction. Would anybody put this in a top 10 list of best science fiction movies of the Absolutely last 50 Absolutely not. No way. You don't think so? But is that is that the criteria? Is the criteria, like, does it have to be one of the one of the greats in order for me to be like, you know, like, like I... I I just like dis- I disagree. Like I feel like I feel like it absolutely. I feels like I couldn't believe how well it held up. Like I actually was like the whole time was like this is shocking how well this but holds up. But to his point, me. do you think a teenager would watch it today and enjoy it? Uh, I think there's a lot of things teenagers would kind of roll their eyes. Probably not, but I don't know if that's a good. I mean, I feel like if that teenager grew up and at 30 years old, they would then appreciate. Like if uh, maybe, like, yeah, I guess that. You know what that, I mean? That's what triggered my thinking. Is I was like, oh, that's an interesting point Shane makes. Like if I ever have a kid and that kid's 15, and I'm like, I got to show you one of these, a movie I absolutely love. It's beloved. It's part of this Star Trek canon, and I show it to the kid, and the kid's like, meh. I yeah, feel like, like a fifteen. I could see a fifteen-year-old in nineteen eighty-six being like, "Yeah, you nerds." This is like, like, like I don't know if, if, if who but, who was it aimed at even at the time. It had for, to be aimed at for older me. People. When I think of movies that deserve to be on the pedestal, I think mm-hmm. of two thousand one: A Space Odyssey, and I, I brought that up several times. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that a lot while watching this movie, and just in terms of like quality that still holds up. I would show my teenage son or daughter two thousand one, right. and have them still be blown away. I would think. The, the, the main thing for me, and it's the same thing as, as I was sort of alluding to before, if, A, this movie, because it's, it's the fourth one, do, 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 does it need the other ones in order to, to be up there? And if it does, and you wouldn't put them all up there, like, can you just put, like, a, a, the four, like can you put the it, third part of a trilogy? No, it doesn't need the, like, I know it doesn't need them because I haven't seen the others. Right. This is just a silly would this movie, family film. Would this movie, if it, was, had, if it was just a movie called The Voyage Home, and all the names were different. Everything else yeah. was exactly the same, but it, there was no st- Starfleet was was something else, like Moonfleet, and just something mm-hmm. like that. Would the movie still work, or is it like yeah. that? So, like you say, is it just our nostalgia? Is it just I love Star Trek so much? I it just elevates um, elevates it immediately, regardless of its quality. That I think this is like on a level of like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh. three, like in the sense that. Not even the first one. Well, that that, well, that one might <laughs> be on the pedestal. That one's like might be an all timer. I got to rewatch that one. It was Honey We Shrunk Ourselves. That's the third one. Okay, See, yeah. I was just kidding, but <laughs> but I I mean like this this is just an entertaining family film. This this isn't an all time classic movie that everyone wants it to be. It stands out from the Star Trek series because it's not as uh, sterile, and that that's all. But I think. Trekkers want it to be something more than it is, and they remember it in a certain way, and they like certain scenes from when they were young, and they watch it now, and it doesn't hold up. And for me, that's the barometer from which I'm going to right. go forward. Sure. Like when, I want it to be like, hey, get in here, kid. You're about to be blown away. And if they're not, I'm taking it off the pedestal. and like, oh, that didn't hold up. But yeah. I feel like if I have a kid... I I I would like I I would want to show them at least two and four. Like I would say, of like, course, watch but you'd it. be sitting over their shoulder, like this is great, huh? Wait, <laughs> wait for this scene, and you'd almost have to be there monitoring them because they'd be staring at their phone the whole time. Oh, they wouldn't be, be. What's that? They're moon phones in the future. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So they're Google Glass. So I did my spiel. Final final is final voting two to one. I'm, you know what? Here's the thing. I'm going to keep it on a pedestal because uh, I am. This is a hard one for me, guys. I, I love. I, this I, is a hard one. It's I harder than. It. I love the the, the franchise and uh, the Star Trek universe a little too much, and I do think that a teenager will connect with it. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's hard this day and age because it's like obviously like could it compete with a Marvel film? Not really. But I think there's some humanity in it that really works. Um, of course th- that transcends it, I'm not saying this doesn't work yeah. I'm just saying it's a very decent family film see I, I'm again I'm still saying it belongs on the pedestal because it's interesting that you say I want Trekkers I think Trekkers just elevated I think it's kind of works both ways. I think the reason why I am someone who likes Star Trek movies and Star Trek is because of movies like this. Like, so that's why I'm such a fan because this movie stands out to me and it, and it's, and it's different. Like the idea of like a space, this, this movie in particular, a big space movie that takes place mostly in San Francisco. It's just so different and cool. And I'm so, I'm so happy that this movie exists. It's so yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it is. It's so unique. I'm so happy that, that you could show someone and be like, look, 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 look what the kind of crazy 
shit you can actually get made. It's so awesome. And I will <laughs> say, it, 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 context matters. Star Trek is a massive, massive popular thing. And if this is the best of the Star Trek movies, it deserves that place on the pedestal. Do you think it's... Is it, does, do you believe it is top five, top three Star Trek movies of all time? Is it top two? Is it the number one? I think Mike just said it was the top. Do you believe it's... No, like if it's Obviously, it's that or Wrath of Khan if you're really... Uh, you know, people... I think that Wrath of Khan and First Contact are considered mm -hmm. the three best of the, I think there's nine or Would you say Abrams is, would that count like? Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so in counting Abrams, that first Star Trek's pretty good. I, Into Darkness for me fell flat. Uh, no, no good. Beyond mm -hmm. was very much like an episode. I think we've talked about that. I really like Beyond yeah, a lot. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think four is probably, I, again, like we keep getting back to what Shane says about mass appeal. Like I think it's the most appealing one because they go back in time and it's not as hard science fiction-y. You know, there's less of an ask from uh, a general viewer. Like I think the uh, the one J.J. Abrams did, the only one I've seen is the the first one. Yep. And I didn't even consider that a Star Trek film. I just considered that a space action film. Yeah. And I don't think in 30 years there's going to be a podcast talking about the first That's Star Trek J.J. Abrams. Probably movie. not. Nope. And I put this movie in that level where it's fine. It passes the time and it's a, a fun little film to watch. Fun That's little it. film. Yeah. Shane Cunningham. All right. So two to one. We are keeping Star Trek for The Voyage Home yeah. on the pedestal. Classic Trekkers. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll be it? Yeah. We don't really need an outro, right? No. Okay, cool.